if you think of someone from Texas, it was this guy. The rumor was that he had you know, made a ton of money in the oil business in the 80s. We told our board before this, you know, hey, we, we've got this ace in the hole with this guy who's got this Texas money from, from the oil wells. And so we go up there. It's like a 45-minute drive. And, you know, we're, we're getting ready to kind of butter him up for the ask. And we, we sit him down and we're like, so you know about what we're doing with the center and all this stuff. And, and he goes, we're like, so we're, we're looking for, you know, $50,000 on this, this project. And the guy goes, this is really embarrassing. But I had a bunch of money from oil in the 80s, and I made a string of bad investment decisions and out of debt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is so uncomfortable. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. In this week's episode, we speak with Scott Dalton, who is an account executive with Kindful. I just want to say before I do his formal introduction, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Scott is a really funny guy and uh, had a lot of really great insights, and I think you're you're going to learn a lot from this episode, so... Uh, Here goes nothing. Scott Dalton is an account executive at Kindful in Nashville, Tennessee. Scott was previously the executive director of two nonprofits before joining Kindful. In his spare time, you can find him spending time with his wife Sarah and daughter Madeline watching Hamilton on Disney+. It's embarrassing how many times they have watched it. (laughs) His passion is to see nonprofits find creative and data-driven ways to engage donors. If you would like to talk further with him about ways that Kindful can help you and your nonprofit track and manage your donors better, you can reach out directly to him at sdalton at kindful.com. Now, if y'all been listening, one of the things you'll remember is that I'm doing shout-outs for everybody who leaves a review because I want to get as many ratings and reviews as possible on Apple Podcasts. The more of those we have, the more easily discoverable the show is, and more people are going to be able to get this information and hear these awesome stories. Now, the most recent review, uh, people leave, you have a nickname that that is left behind when you leave a review. The most recent one is from one is from someone whose nickname is Hug Your Cats. Now, hug your cats. I don't know who you are. If you're out there listening, let me know who you are. I'd love to. I'd love to know. I'd love to thank you. Um, you might not even know your nickname is Hug Your Cats because you might have made it years ago and just stuck with it. But basically, you you said that for anyone who is looking to grow in skill, knowledge, and confidence as a development professional, this show is for you. Kevin has you laughing while taking notes and pushing rewind to catch that critical question that's been missing from your toolbox. Thanks so much, Hug Your Cats. Please let me know who you are. You could reach me by sending me an email at kevin.fitzpatrick.coaching at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Scott. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so today we've got Scott Dalton coming uh, in from the Nashville, Tennessee area. Could you give everybody a little bit of an introduction about yourself, what you do now, and kind of yeah, yeah, the the world you're living in in the database space for nonprofits. 
Sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm Scott Dalton, and as Kevin said, I'm I'm from the Nashville area, Nashville native, born and raised. And this is this is a good medium. I mean, Kevin and I can see each other face to face, but I've always been told, you know, I've got a face for radio, so this is a good <laughs> a good situation for us that we find ourselves in. Uh, I've been I've been working at a a company called Kindful, kind of like Mindful with a K for those that are looking looking to spell. And I've been working at Kindful for a little over a year now, and I'm a, an account executive there. And, you know, the short short uh, kind of pitch there is that, you know, Kindful helps nonprofits track and manage their donors better. And we do that through our, our CRM and our suite of, of fundraising tools as well. So uh, we're, we work with nonprofits exclusively, and that's who I interface with all day long is nonprofit executive directors and, and dev directors and uh, anywhere in between. So, so you're going to tell us some stories today of... Uh, different experiences you've had uh, when you were working for nonprofits. Could you give everybody a quick run through of you know what your experience was working in the nonprofit world, the different organizations you were at? Yeah, so I I was uh, I spent about four years or so as a uh, kind of a, a a leader at a church for a little while, and I was kind of a my my title was like a, an assistant, but I was kind of doing some vision casting. There was some fundraising involved. There was some teaching involved. So kind of a utility player at this this church I was at for a while. And and then I also was an executive director of a, a nonprofit that spun out of that church as well, um, kind of in the baby stages of, of the development. And then actually moved back to Nashville from Texas, where I was in Texas for about eight years or so, and moved back to be the executive director of a foundation here in Nashville. And that was before I, I jumped over to Kindful. So I have got a little bit of dev experience uh, from the the director side, from the development perspective. And, you know, I would say I talked with Kevin initially and said, you know, hey, I'm probably a, a failed executive director might be the best way to, to say it <laughs> Work on the tech side. But uh, I do have some 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 experiences there and uh, love my time in nonprofit. It was a, a good time. So we'll get to some specific questions a little later. But is there any story you'd like to start off with? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think we were talking a little bit even before this this cast and we were recording about you know different kinds of visits that we've had with with donors in the past and you know i think i think one of the the worst visits i ever had with someone <laughs> it's, almost, <laughs> it's almost laughable kind of i'm just looking back on it it was amazing how little i knew but essentially i i met with this guy at a panera which is where all all deals happen Yes. Uh, and, and so we were we were there and we were drinking coffee and probably eating, you know, kind of mediocre salad that was overpriced. <laughs> and, and you know, we, we started talking and essentially what this, this nonprofit was doing is we were doing like a, a leadership training program. And so I was foolish enough to like hard pitch this guy on the program <laughs> for probably half an hour. <laughs> the, the lack of self-consciousness that I had was just, I mean, stunning. And... and I mean, I don't think I took a breath and this guy was eating his, his kale. Like this guy is, is going to have no people here. And I don't know what's more disgusting, the kale or <laughs> what I'm listening to. <laughs> yeah. It's not like 10 out of 10 would not recommend kale. So, you know, we're, we're sitting there where he's munching the salad and I'm talking, you know, breathlessly. And I said, so, you know, what do you think about, about the program? Which of course is not, a very specific ask. It, it violates all, you know, nonprofit donor um, engagement rules. And he just looked at me point blank and kind of, kind of, you know, sat there for a second. And he said, 
I'll be honest with you. I think it has no chance of succeeding at all. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, so yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. This is this is not good. This is not good for me. It, it felt like a, a blow to the gut. And I think, I mean, look, there's with any any you know failed ask. There's always a hundred parables in there, yeah. but and there's a hundred lessons we could draw from it. But I think the reason why it was so funny is it was just a direct failure no to your face and it wasn't like no i won't give you money it was no you should consider a new career <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> you know maybe uh if you've got those people you know, if you're working, if you've got those people in out there maybe you know you got to pick selectively who you want to listen to but uh i didn't listen to that guy i kept doing it yeah. still worthwhile work uh, but that was more probably a function of this terrible pitch than anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I love that story for a number of reasons. One, you know, when we were on the phone yesterday, you were telling me I've probably got more you know failure type stories than successes, and I said that's great because so many of us, so many of us have those failure stories, mm-hmm. and uh, we're we're too embarrassed of them to learn and and grow. And you know, I, I what you described is one of the most common errors of. Uh, major gift fundraisers is we think that the way we're going to get a gift is by, you know, hammering them over the head with how amazing our organization is and all this stuff when it's the total opposite. It's uh, ask good questions, find out what they're interested in, what they care about, and then when appropriate, give them, you know, very specific pieces of information that would be helpful to them. And I, I, I like what you mentioned about, you know, he was just nibbling on his his salad. One of the w- one of the things we can use as a gauge of how well we're doing in a visit is if we're if we're sitting down for a meal and the person we're meeting with uh, has finished their food and we've eaten almost nothing. That means you're talking way too much. Yeah, that's a simple barometer that that will let you know exactly where the relationship's going. It's and it's funny that that's the human tendency, right? Like you never leave a conversation from someone thinking that was so great. They just talked the whole time, and I loved it. You know? Yeah, they're just like the way their voice sounds is amazing, and. I think I'm just going to call him every day to hear him talk. Exactly. That's- Never happened. Never happened in the history of not only nonprofit fundraising, but just humanity in general. There's no right. way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, man, I, I went on a date and I just, I just talked the entire time and I think it went really well. Like that's, <laughs> it's just never going to happen. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a great point. You know, people, it's it's exactly the opposite that people, I don't remember who I heard this from. I wish I could remember. It was some respected author. But, uh, you know, when people leave a conversation, generally speaking, if someone leaves a conversation, they will, if they were the one that spoke the majority of the time, they will have very positive feelings after they, after they leave. Oh, um, couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. And I uh another thing you mentioned, you were talking about, you know, you couldn't believe how naive you were or whatever the word was that you would you would speak so much. That's all of our tendency. I want everybody to know out there. That's not a we've all done it. Uh I remember I remember one of my first visits. I was in a really bad <laughs> I was in a really bad spot because I was trying to get hired and basically my my boss at the time was like 
well, we're not going to hire you. And I was like, well, how do I get hired? And he was like, go raise a bunch of money. And so I was like, okay, pressure's on, which is the worst, which is the worst thing when you're the development person and your only objective is to raise as much cash as fast as possible. So I remember I went in and I had my, I was a total noob and I had my, my, you know, case for support or annual report or whatever it was. And I was basically just flipping through reading the pages, just, you know, never a word from the, the benefactor. And, (laughs) and I get to the end and I asked him for a $10,000 gift uh, with (laughs) having, having no reason to think that he cared about what we were doing or that, he had that kind of capacity and uh, he wound up giving a thousand dollars, I think primarily because he was an old family friend, but uh, oh, it was, it just makes me feel bad thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could be in a place to just sort of peel out a pity $1,000. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Hey, one tenth with a, a a shoddy ask. I mean, that's not the worst, but yeah, I, pr- I probably should have asked for a hundred thousand, exactly, and then I would have gotten ten thousand. <laughs> that is exactly. Oh man, well that that reminds me of that, of another kind of anecdote around failed asks and and the the data piece of just kind of getting a sense of. You mentioned I don't know like how much capacity this this guy had. Yeah. You know, I, I went on this uh, this we were. I was in a, a small town in Texas, and so our, our network for the for the um, the first org that I was the executive director of, we were really looking at a lot of folks that had constituency interests, kind of within like a fifty mile radius or so of yeah. of our area. And there was <laughs> there was this, this guy that was he was like the, the if you think of someone from Texas, it was this guy, and yeah. we'll we'll call him Russell because that's a good a good Texas. Yeah. And so this guy was, you know, he, he owned acreage in, in a tiny town in Texas. And the rumor was that he had, you know, made a ton of money in the oil business in the eighties, which is true of all Texas people. And as we yeah, know, everyone did. <laughs> and so this guy, you know, he wore area cowboy boots and occasionally a hat and had a big belt buckle. And I mean, he was awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and so we met him at me and this other guy that we, I was raising money with. We met him at the Starbucks uh, off the off of Interstate 35, and this guy, you know, Russell, he's really excited about our mission. He sort of has he's like an interested constituent, and we we told our board before this, you know, hey, we we've got this ace in the hole with this guy who's got this Texas money from from the oil wells, and so we go up there. It's like a forty five minute drive, and you know, we're we're getting ready to kind of butter him up for the ask and. We, we sit him down and we're like, so you know about what we're doing with the center and all this stuff. And it's kind of what we called the, the, the deal that we're raising money for. And, and he goes, we're like, so we're, we're looking for, you know, $50,000 on this, this project. And the guy goes, this is really embarrassing, but I had a bunch of money from oil in the eighties and I made a string of bad investment decisions and a ton of debt. <laughs> Oh, this is so uncomfortable. And <sighs> like the the most depressing and sad. <laughs> and it, it, at that point, it's like, should we give this guy financial advice at this point? Like, <laughs> backtrack and then enroll him in a course or or something of that sort. But it it goes to that, <laughs> that bad data. Oh my gosh, that bad data conversation is like the. 
key for, and that's what, I mean, that's one of the reasons I feel so strongly about what we're doing at, at Kindful is to give people actual data. I mean, that's a, that's a use case for our, our wealth tool that we have, our wealth insights tool to get a sense of like what capacity you have in your database, because we had no guardrails. And I mean, we went in, we're like a decently large ask on this guy who could no more give us, you know, a, a, a bronze penny, you know, out of his pocket, <laughs> a penny. So that, that was, that was humbling. <laughs> oh, that is magnificent. That's, uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, look, Russell, you got all this debt anyway. Why don't you just swipe another 50,000 on the credit card? And you're... <laughs> alone, you know, it would have been yeah. good to, to be burned in about a year and he would have never seen a return on it. But, you know, uh, <laughs> life would have been changed. So, yeah, it would have been uh, a financial decision on his end. Yeah, it's funny how, uh, yeah, so data is a very important thing. But what I always recommend to people, data is a starting point, And we need to confirm things in person with our benefactors. So, I mean, you know, if you're going to ask somebody for a $50,000 gift, uh, you want to find out things about their financial situation uh, before we ask them for the gift. Otherwise, things like that happen. Like one of my favorites was when I asked a guy for a $100,000 gift. <laughs> and then he immediately revealed to me that uh, he, he had just filed bankruptcy. <laughs> Ooh, you hate to see it. And, uh, now, now it was interesting. The, uh, he, this guy was not broke. It was a, it was a strategic business move, but it was just kind of like, oh man, things you, things you wish you knew, uh, you know, (laughs) 60 seconds sooner. (laughs) Perhaps a, uh, maybe a quick Google search would have helped out or, (laughs) so where where do you, let me ask you this. Where did you go from there? Was it just kind of like, tell me about your kids (laughs) or (laughs) what, what was the next 30 minutes of that conversation? Like, okay. So that I was, uh, intentionally making it sound worse than it was. He actually, um, I'm glad I asked him for the gift and I'm actually glad that I didn't know that. That's one of the rare circumstances that I'm glad I didn't know about that situation because, you know, he told me, well, we're going through this bankruptcy, but, uh, I'm not broke. I've got to pay off. You know, it was a structured debt situation that he was going to pay off and, um, he still had significant income. And so his response was, I don't think I can do it in basically i'd asked him for i think it was a hundred thousand over three years and so he was saying i could maybe do like five thousand this year uh i don't remember what his breakdown was but he basically broke it down over three years to where he could do it over a period of time Mm -hmm. so it wasn't uh it wasn't nearly as awkward as it wasn't as awkward as it could have been. Yeah. Um and it and it turned out favorably. But and I think that right there, I mean, that is that story of course has a thousand, you know, points underneath it, but that is the the power of just making the ask. And I, I mean, yes. that's what we're trying to do with this podcast, right? Is, is empower people to yes. do that. And I mean, that is a, a perfect use case of like, look. You've got this guy. He just said that he filed bankruptcy, but he's saying, "Yeah, you know, there's there's some wiggle room here to make this happen." And I mean, I think that's the power of 
you know, if you're not specific, if you're not clear, if it's ambiguous and people have no idea what they're there for and why they're there, I mean, good luck on that. I mean, you're, you're not gonna, that when that fear component creeps in and it, it makes everything ambiguous and nebulous and, and no one knows what's going on. That's when you can't get data like that. But when you step up to the plate and look, it's, it's terrifying asking people for money. I mean, that's, there's no, that's, that's true. If you're raising venture capital, that's true. If you're nonprofit fundraising, that's true. If you're, you know, a girl scouts selling cookies. I mean, it's just a fact of the matter, but that's a, a perfect testament to stepping up to the plate and asking, and then more results come out of it. It's like, look, man, maybe I can't do a hundred thousand now, but I could do, you know, a couple hundred each month for the next three years or whatever the end yeah. result end up being. So yeah. perfect. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's exactly it. That's why I said, I'm glad I didn't know that information beforehand because uh, while it would have been better if I knew it, and I was bold enough to still venture into those waters. Mo- generally, our tendency is to most of us do not have the problem of it's like, man, every time I go meet with somebody, I just over ask by like 10 times. <laughs> most of us are, you know, severely under asking. Mm-hmm. And so we exactly what you said, like, you know, putting out a specific number, a large number and asking for it boldly and confidently that's what that's what leads to significant giving. It's also what leads to embarrassing stories like this from uh, from time to time. But uh, you know, no, nothing. What's the word? Nothing ventured. Nothing gained. Um, you know. There you go. It's a it's it's a it's a platitudes or platitudes for a reason because they're true and a lot of the time. And that's the that's yeah. reality. I mean, you you gotta. It's the Wayne Gretzky thing. It's the Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott thing. You're you're ninety nine percent of shots you don't take, or whatever that quote is. Hundred percent of shots you don't take. I don't know. Both of them suck. <laughs> exactly. Somehow I manage mm-hmm. the uh, exactly. title of Michael Scott's uh, more copies sold than the Bible. Not surprised. <laughs> if you can't tell everyone, Scott, I'm assuming Scott is a fellow millennial, and uh, <laughs> we're <laughs> we're bringing it. <laughs> a different perspective uh quoting the office in this episode um and yeah so what was i oh so one of the things you were just talking on i i love bringing on guests because y'all just bring up all these topics that i think are are so important you know when, when things are ambiguous bad things happen and so to to go further on that everybody go listen to the last episode which i titled asking for ranges is for amateurs uh because yeah don't yeah, I I'm glad I asked that guy for a hundred thousand instead of a gift in the range of fifty thousand to a hundred thousand because then he, everyone just automatically goes to well if fifty thousand will do it then let's do fifty uh, and so yeah don't be be specific don't be ambiguous and uh, watch the office so <laughs> big three that's what you need to know yeah. <laughs> that point too. If, if folks out there are looking for resources on that, I don't know, Kevin, if, if this is a book that you've come across, but uh, there's a great book called Never Split the Difference by a guy named yeah. Ross. Yeah, come on. So if, if you haven't read that book, you need to you need to drop everything and you need to go to this little store online, little mom and pop store called Amazon and go over there and, and grab that either, you know, whatever format you need, because that that book is... Um, it's helpful for salespeople. It's helpful for people that are raising money. Chris Voss is a, a former FBI hostage negotiator. And while the title is a bit off-putting, I'll be frank, uh, the the content there is so empathy-driven. 
and a little, you know gives you strategies and tactics to to be bold about what you're asking for and to have conversations not unlike what you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. Where you're kind of negotiating. Hey, you know, I can't do this, but I can do this, and that's the whole range of parameters thing. Like if you if you give people an anchor at a low range, there's no reason why they would pick the high range unless they're just exactly. you know, on the right side of the bed that day and drink a lot of coffee and feel good about their outfit. Yeah. And I don't know what that what those decision yeah. factors are, but you know they're going to yeah. go range every time. Yeah, so this is interesting that you have uh, mentioned this book in a in a public setting. I'm both I'm both pleased and dis- disappointed because I am almost always of the uh, philosophy that you it's impossible to give out too much valuable content for free. Um, you know, my my wife tells me all the time, like Kevin, you're like you're giving away all of your you know, your secrets and stuff on, on your podcast and stuff. And I'm just like, look, most people that listen to this aren't going to do it. Um, my hope is that like the people that really, uh, want to make changes and start, uh, you know, raising a lot more money will reach out to me and consider, uh, what, how I can help them through a coaching situation. But Chris Voss's book, never split the difference, I think is so, unbelievably amazing i have purposefully not shared it on places <laughs> like linkedin because like i don't want too many people to know these these uh tips and tactics i've picked up his i mean his book is is magnificent like you're saying he's the he was the lead hostage negotiator for the fbi he is dealing with you know when, when he loses a negotiation people die so it is unacceptable to to lose the negotiation. And this book just is packed with it. Every chapter starts with a different hostage uh, situation that really happened that he was involved in. And then taking some principle away from that, that we can all apply to everyday life, whether you're purchasing a car or just, you know, trying to have a good conversation with your spouse. There is tons of value in that book. Yeah. Can't recommend it enough and it's you know don't be don't be fooled while there's it's it's really engaging in the sense that there's like hostage conversations and, and if you're skeptical out there you're thinking there's no way this is applicable but yeah you know i was shocked to see you know even results in in my current you know role that i'm doing at, at kindful right now and uh in you know conversation as you mentioned conversations with a spouse conversations with friends just and and one of the biggest things is just having is to go back to this original point is having clarity having a sense of you know, where we're going, what we're doing, what's going on. There's something about the human brain that I think just loves a paradigm to grab onto, loves terms to be set. You know, when we, when we sit down with someone, you know, at a, at a coffee shop or whatever that might be, if it's centered around fundraising, if, if they don't have a sense of where this is going, then it just feels like there's the bottom just kind of falls out of the conversation. You know, it's like, why are we winding around talking about, where I went on vacation and how I feel about COVID. Well, hopefully you're not meeting with a ton of people face to face. Some places are favorite than others. Right. But, but I think, you know, there's, there is that sense in which people are kind of like, Hey, I want, I want to know like what we're doing. And maybe that would start the conversation by saying, Hey, I just wanted, I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about what we're doing and just see if that piques your interest at all. We're not asking for money today. We're not, not trying to, you know, pull your purse strings, whatever that looks like. And people will respect that honesty and clarity and they want a sense of where we're going. And then when that ask happens, you know, having a 
clear ask, having a clear vision of what you want and what they could do with it and where it's going to go and all those pieces. So that's a little bit of a, a diatribe, but that kind of brings us, I think, back to the, the point of clarity. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give two examples real quick of, cause I just, now we're on this topic. It's just so good. I can't, I can't venture away. Uh, Two things I'll say tremendously valuable from that book. One is the concept he talks about of mirroring. Mm -hmm. And uh, for him, you know, a lot of people like sale, like gimmicky sales things. They talk about mirroring where you basically just pretend to be like the person you're meeting with. So, you know, if they're, if they're folding their arms, you fold your arms. If they speak with this kind of accent, you speak with that kind of accent. It's all stupid. Uh, What he refers to as mirroring is when someone says a sentence, repeat like the last three words or so that they said, but with a question mark on the end and they'll, they'll open up a lot more. And so his idea is when you're negotiating, you basically want the person you're negotiating with to negotiate against themselves without you having to do anything. So for example, uh, if you're in a salary negotiation, you're, you're, you know, you're looking to get hired for a job and the, the, uh, topic of compensation comes up and your the potential employer says, you know, we can pay you $50,000. And then a lot of times as the person trying to get hired, you might say like, well, could you pay me $55,000? And that that's a terrible strategy. <laughs> his, his approach with mirroring is they say, we can pay you $50,000. And then you simply respond, $50,000? And they are going to... You didn't do anything to say that's not enough or I need more. All you did was get them to start talking more. And when you do that mirroring and say $50,000... They'll start saying, well, you know, that's what we'd like to do. But in certain certain circumstances, we could pay somebody up to 60000 and And who knows if that's exactly what they'll say, but... Oh, sure. And I've got even a, a live case on that. I was talking to someone who's a friend of my wife and... Uh, this woman was was doing exactly that salary negotiation. And the, the organization said, hey, you know, we can pay you. I don't remember the number. I'll just make something up like $80,000 or, or something like that. And she did that exact tactic. And I kid you not, the lady, she said that the, 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 the person who's going to be her boss sort of sat back in her chair, thought for a second, kind of furrowed her brow. And she said, well, okay, I'll be honest with you. You know, the, the board has given me the ability to, to put you up to 87. It was like a, a significant percentage increase. And, and the woman said, well, you know, I think that that would be amenable for, for me and my family, you know, if you can make that happen. And she's like, okay, I'll, t- I'll take it back to him. I'll take it back to him. Yeah, yeah. And she not only got the raise on the initial offer by just asking, by she, in her words, by literally saying three words, I made $7,000 a year. Yes. Yes. But also negotiated for the office with a window. Which is big, yes. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's worth at least ten thousand <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I think that, that that comes back to this this idea of letting people work internally on on why they're justifying. Like it, it's really easy to throw out a number and for that to be to be non narrative in the sense that it's it's out there, it's abstract. There's nothing behind it. But when when you really get to the story behind the number you find that people are more flexible than that. You know, you find that right. they're like, what, look, well, I mean, you know, you, you could, you could give $10,000 to, to do this, but really if we had 15, we could, 
we could do the whole event or whatever that looked like. You know, there's right. context and stories. And if, and if you've got a, a reason behind what you're doing and let people kind of work that out for themselves, you're like, look, I mean, I'm not going to come up $5,000 short of funding this event or $5,000 short of sending this child to school or whatever that is. Right. And that narrative helps, I think. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to share one last uh, real life example. And I, w- I won't go into too much detail of I, th- this isn't exactly in the book, I don't think, but I heard it. I heard of his book by listening to an episode of The Art of Manliness where Chris Voss was was interviewed. And and he tells a story about the power of no. So, you know, he talks about in negotiations, you don't everyone wants to get to yes as quickly as possible. He's like, you want to get to no. And if you can get the whoever you're negotiating with to say the word no, they're in a position of more authority and they have more control over the situation rather than saying yes. So, for example, I, I he he told a story in that podcast and I used this at an event I was in in Dallas. There was this big, big event where they brought in a speaker and this guy was the CEO of one of the largest uh, tech companies in the world. And uh, at this event, at events like this, everybody wants to go talk to that person and they want something. And so everybody is asking a question, hoping to get yes. Could I get a picture with you? Could I get your business card? Could I do this? Everybody's hoping for a yes. And so I'm in this line of 20 people waiting to talk to this guy. And everyone's going up and, you know, some of them take pictures, whatever. But, but I notice, you know, no one, no one has gotten this guy's business card. Uh, that's an, imp- a, an important detail. Uh, I get up to him and I want, I had reason to believe that this guy might, uh, have interest in heroic media's mission, uh, the organ, the nonprofit that I work for. And so I, so I, I wanted to get to a point where I could schedule a visit with this guy. So I get up to him and instead of asking, Hey, could I come meet with you sometime about our organization? I, I told him very briefly what we do. And then I said, would it be a completely ridiculous idea for me to fly out and meet with you for 10 minutes in your city? And he thought about it for a second. And he said, well, no, how about we do this? Let me go get you my card and you can reach out to me. Uh, and so he he left where he was, went to his table like 20 feet away, opened up his backpack, took out his his business card and gave me the one card that was given away at that event. And and that's just it's simple things like that, that this book can, I mean, uh, you know, lead to tremendous outcomes that you never would have gotten if you don't didn't just get a little bit more knowledge from somebody like this. Yeah, it's, it's so perfect. And it that just jumps right into that. I mean, no, that human psychology piece of, you know, no one wants to be the person that says, yeah, you know, actually, that'd be ridiculous. And you can move yeah. on line, you know, <laughs> there's a certain kind of person for which that's true. I mean, let's, we'll be honest, there's no 100% silver bullet on this. But this guy sounds like a pretty, pretty reasonable person. And look, someone, I mean, 10 minutes is nothing. Anyone can get yeah. 10 minutes, you know, so yeah. that is live action right there. I mean, that's, that's never split the difference coming into play. Um, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well, <laughs> we might have to, uh, we might have to tag Chris Voss in this uh, podcast <laughs> when it goes live. Cause this is, we can, uh, we can probably move on to uh, 
any any other stories you'd like to share from your your time in the field, Scott? Sure, sure, yeah. A uh, couple other couple other notable ones. Um, you know, one <clears throat> one kind of story that that came to mind when we were we were kind of talking yesterday and, and chatting about you know significant asks and other asks and we were Kevin and I were kind of joking about the the funny places that donors like to go. You know, everyone has a different you know, kind of vibe. Some people want something upscale, you know, where you're going to, you know, if you're a, a man, you're going to show up with a suit and tie. If you're a woman, you're going to, you're going to dress up as well. And other, other donors are just, you know, they're, they're the Warren Buffett types. They want to show up at a fast food restaurant and, and that's how, you know, plays get made. And I was talking to this, this fundraising coach that I was utilizing in, in uh, what my first, my first job as an ED. And he was telling me about this, this ask that he had made where, you know, Chick-fil-A was this guy's location of choice. And so they, they met, I think three times there before he made a, a $25,000 ask. And it was, this was, this is a debatable tactic. I mean, it, it felt very well <laughs> in the sense that it was, uh, you know, it seemed cool, but we'll just, I'll tell you what, what happened. So he, he wrote in an envelope the <laughs> number amount and sealed it. And then he <laughs> it across the table, which mind you, like the Chick-fil-A table isn't big. I mean, that's not like yeah. sliding something down a, a 30 person boardroom. Yeah. Would you mind moving your waffle fries? <laughs> yeah. This, this thing probably came out ketchup stained. Yeah. It was, it was a $25,000 ask and, and the guy opened it with a, presumably his letter opener or whatever he had you know, on him. And he looked at him and he said, man, this isn't, this isn't enough. <laughs> you know, and, and he winded up kind of walking back, and and I think that he winded up giving the twenty five thousand that one time, but then he sort of went and reworked some math so he could show him, you know, what, yeah. what significant additional gift would do. But I, I that story has always been super encouraging to me. One because it's hilarious with the, the on, yeah. and which I probably I would not recommend that. And yeah. second because of the the Chick fil A piece, but also. Because sometimes the donor says, "Hey, that's I was expecting more," you know, and, yeah. and in that case, I mean, you obviously you're in a good place. That's what everyone wants to hear, and that's not you know the majority, but that happens. I mean, it really does. Going back to our tendency is to under ask, and that that story I shared earlier of the the hundred thousand dollar ask right after going through bankruptcy, uh, guy. The one of the reasons. I decided to ask him for a hundred thousand was because the first time I met him, we were at a restaurant uh, and, and he was there with one of his friends. So these two guys were friends. I was there just listening to them talk and we were talking about fundraising and, and my guy was just like, He's like, yeah, people they just never ask me for enough money. He's like, you know, this one organization, they, and, and it was something that he was, kind of personally involved with he was like they asked me for a ten thousand dollar gift and i gave it to him but if they would have asked me for a hundred i would have done that and so that that was kind of my permission and i actually pointed that out to him right before (laughs) right before i made the ask and he started laughing um and so you know it's like you you told me people don't uh don't ask you for enough money. And I can assure you, you're not going to feel that way uh, 60 <laughs> seconds from now. And, and so he started laughing, which is always a great place to start. Uh, sure. 
Yeah. And that, I think that story also illustrates, and this is, I think, a, a really underutilized component for or, or, or factor for a lot of fundraisers. Just the understanding the power of network uh, in that, you know, where you're talking about, hey, I, I know this guy who's in my corner, but then there's this other guy. And yes. that, that piece is something that I see all the time. I mean, to, to go back to the work that I'm doing every day, this happens all the time with, with customers coming to Kindful where they've got relationships that they're looking to track. They want to know how people are connected and, you know, what kind of a donor are they? All those sorts of things. Do they belong to an organization? What does that look like? Which we, we help them track. But, yeah. but that, that aside, so this is a common occurrence, but I, I even made a call to a friend uh, this morning around like, you know, 7 or 8 a.m. to talk a little bit about, because I knew that I was coming on today and, and wanted to just kind of run a couple ideas by him, see if he had any good stories for me. And, and he said, you know, he said he had this one major donor in his, his, um, his database that he really has, has seen so many additional gifts come out of that guy's network. And yes. he said, you know, if there's one thing that I could say to people, it's that those large donors have networks of large donors that are wanting and willing to give. And, you know, I think some people get complacent with like, hey, yeah, there's one person that gives us 80% of our funds each year. But the reality yeah. is if you think about your nonprofit like a business, I mean, if if any investor came in and said, you get your revenue from from one source, 80%, yeah. no one would invest in that company. Right. And or no one in their right mind would. And the reality is this guy said he this was a real story that this guy told me this morning. He said, I have a major donor that I, I asked about, you know, if they had any friends or people that they might be might might know that would be interested in either talking to me or donating or just being, you know, keeping up to date with us. And this guy said, yeah, let me have my wife email you um, one of her friends uh, emails and just have a conversation. This guy says he jumps on the phone with this guy and in, he just said, I don't know this guy from Adam. I mean, I don't know this guy at all. He said 15 minutes in the conversation, the guy goes, you know, I'm going to give you $20,000. I really like what you're doing. Wow. And it was a 15 minute call that yes. they talked for maybe five additional minutes about like, you know, the, the logistics around that and how they're going to accept it and all those pieces. But he trusted his friend. He knew yes. that he had invested in this guy and that power of network. I mean, that's a 15 minute call. That's 20,000 bucks on one shot. Yes. So I, I think people, and it's hard with COVID and I, I get that, but LinkedIn is a great tool. There are other great tools out there to make connections and people are wanting to connect. I don't meet a lot of people that yeah. are saying, Hey, I don't want to grow my network. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a, a thought out there. People trust, just like you said, what their friends are involved with. They, they trust an introduction from a friend mm -hmm. and people generally speaking, like, I mean, if, if you've got someone who's giving, $50,000 a year to your organization, the people that they are closest with, pr generally speaking, are going to have similar capacity. Um, it's like people, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's just true that people who, you know, earn a million dollars a year or more generally are spending time with other people who have very large incomes. Right. Um, and so, yeah, asking for referrals is key. I was talking to one of our benefactors a few weeks ago and i was just thanking her for all of the introductions she's made and i was telling her that the the introductions that she made starting close to close to 10 years ago has generated 
right around a million dollars in giving uh, over over that period of time for Heroic Media. And and she was like, no, no way. And I was like, yes, like I can. The, it, 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 it's crazy to to think that. But I mean, it's, you know, one person makes one introduction. That person has given like half a million dollars, uh, just one person themselves. And then all of the, you know, ripple effects of I then had someone host a table at this event and then at that event, these people started bringing friends in and stuff like that. And it's and it's just amazing what what one referral can lead to over time. Yeah, and and that that story is so powerful. Actually, there's a sneaky reason why that's powerful in my mind, because your communication with that individual donor is is a what we what we might call like a deposit into the relationship. So it's not like a withdrawal. It's not an ask, right? It's simple thank you. And I think that's a real, I think it's a real pitfall for a lot of fundraisers because I mean, obviously even in this conversation, we're talking about, you know, what an ask looks like and, and kind of these dynamics around it. But that doesn't mean that every conversation, and in fact, the, the minority should be that direct ask. I mean, oh, yeah. just learning the paradigm that you need to put in more than you take out. I mean, you yes. need to, to deposit more than you withdraw in these relationships is so critical. I mean, that, you know, it, it can be tough time. I think with, especially with the the pandemic and such, there are organizations that are flourishing right now that I've talked to. There are some that are hanging on by a string. Hmm. When you get in panic mode and in scarcity, it feels like, Hey, I need to get out there and just ask, ask, ask. And I want to, you know, you know, convert those assets, you know, 1%, but maybe I'll get something. And the reality is, coming across articles that you read that you know that people are of interest and sending it on and just saying, Hey, we talked about this in our first meeting about this thing. And I saw this article that, that talked yes. about, thought you might be interested. Have a great day. There's no ask there. There's no, you know, specific call to action in that point, just saying, look, you were on my mind and I think this thing would add value to you. And that's not to say like, go share, you know, your grandmother's Facebook posts with everyone that's <laughs> out yeah. there. But, yeah. but if there's specific relevant tailored content, I mean, no one is frustrated, at least in my experience, by something that's relevant to them coming across their inbox or a quick yep. call or, or any of those pieces. I don't know if it's true for you or not, but I think that that's been significant for me. No, that that's huge. And and I've even and this is the power of texting in my mind, typically, uh, because little things like this are so well done through text mm-hmm. uh, because it's just a quick, like very personal kind of thing. I mean, I, you can, you can listen to you and then anybody else who's new to the podcast um, in this episode. One of the most recent episodes I titled the $5,000 penny. And it's about a, a story. Someone told me one of our benefactors who basically, he was just telling me about how he found this penny face up, on the ground and he thought it was really cool. This is a guy whose net worth is like probably over $500 million and, and he's in his eighties and he thought it was really cool and he, and he likes to text. And so I, I was on a run and I saw a face up penny on the ground, took a picture, texted it over to him. Just like, Hey, just thinking of you. And, you know, and, and he sent me something back and just said like, you know, uh, what did he say? Something like great prosperity is in your future. And then he mailed in a check for $5,000. Wow. (laughs) Penny or fortune cookie. That's the real yeah. question. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. And, and I and I I was not doing it at all because I well, you know, maybe you'll send in money. It was just like I was just thinking of you, and it's that that's how friendship works. 
Yeah. Uh, so and yeah, can, great point. People can sniff that from a mile away if it's got some sort of subtle, like, hey, I'm, yes. I'm being salesy, but yes. oh, but I'm, I'm trying to pretend to add value. You know, and that's why I think yeah. it's important just to say things like, just thinking of you or, you know, uh, not not sure if this is of interest, but I, I thought that you might like it and just wanted to pass it along. There's yeah. not, oh, and by the way, you know, yeah, how about yeah. $4,000? You know, I, I, yeah. that's... While I got you on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like a fake pitch. And I mean, that's, I mean, there are pieces where that, that, that aren't necessarily teachable in the sense that you've got to, you've got to have some empathy. You've got to have, you know, a heart for what you're doing. And typically nonprofit people are not short on that. So there's usually no yes. problem there, but, but not letting the number people aren't numbers. I mean, not letting the number right. get in the way of the relationship, I think is so critical and really working to build authentic, genuine relationships. And that, that comes back to every single point that we've touched so far in this cast, which is um, that leads to specificity that leads to, having conversations about, Hey, I'm not here today, but I could be here tomorrow or whatever that looks like. And you don't have those conversations if there's not genuine trust and interest and a conversation that's developing. I mean, period. People, people just are not numbers. That's just a fact. Yeah. Yeah. And that the point you were making about, you know, people can smell the sleazy sales thing. Like that's, it's funny because a lot of times we're, we don't want to be sleazy. So we kind of like, meander around things and that in itself makes it sleazy so like for example uh i tell people if you're calling when i'm calling someone to schedule a visit i say the exact same thing every time kevin fitzpatrick with heroic media the reason i'm calling you today specifically is to schedule a visit regarding heroic media Mm -hmm. now it is some people make fun of that and like, Oh, it's like, so like formal Kevin. And it's like, yeah, but it lets people know exactly why I'm calling them. And if they do not want to do that, they can just tell me and yep. they don't have to feel like, does he just want to go to lunch? Cause like, we're kind of friends or just like, no, like be clear with people. And uh, yeah, it's just so much better for everybody. Yeah, totally. And then you can develop a relationship. That's not this weird blend of, of, personal overlapping into the professional. Like the reality is you've got to, you've got to position the relationship as look, this is a professional relationship. And that doesn't mean that we can't talk about what we're doing over the weekend or, you know, if you're going on a trip or whatever that, and that's part of any relationship, but just yes. to get into like when, when Kevin calls and he's scheduling an appointment with me, I know what he's up to. He's not doing anything shady. He's developing right. a relationship around heroic media, you know, and yeah. it's helpful to have that clarity. Goes along. Yeah, Cause there's, there's nothing worse than getting ambushed, which is, yes. you know, I, I thought we were going to talk because my grandma just passed away. Mm-hmm. And then you used that to get uh, a meeting with me and then ask me for a gift. Yeah. That is, that is the worst thing we could ever do. Uh, you're looking because at, it, it, yeah, <laughs> you're looking there at a long road to just ruining your total donor base and looking for a yeah. job in about six months. Yeah. <laughs> Dest- <laughs> it destroys trust. So uh, any other stories come to mind, Scott? You know, I, this one is, I've just got to, I've got to say it. Uh, it's not around a specific ask um, one-on-one in that sense, but it was around a, an event that was done, which I thought, like, it, is it tangential a little bit, but it's just so funny. Uh, <laughs> so there is this, there's this guy 
that I knew in Texas that had this friend that was an ED of a nonprofit. And he, and I promise this is a real story. No, it's a, a, a guy of a friend is, is always questionable. <laughs> real, I know this guy's name. And he was raising money for his, for his nonprofit. <laughs> and this was pre-COVID. So they had, you know, a regular event that they were doing. This guy took pledge cards uh, for the, the event. And there was a, they'd rented out this venue and there was a, you know, it came along with all these amenities, like the linens and the dinner yeah. plate components. And they grabbed up all the pledge cards and put them in a bag after the event. And they like, just didn't track them. Like didn't really know where they were. Like maybe put them to oh, the side. No. The cleaning crew came and picked up all of their pledge cards and threw every single one of them away. Oh no. <laughs> so this guy has just done an event where he's presumably, I mean, he's raised six figures. No, no question. Was it a hundred or was it 300? I don't know. But this guy lost all of his pledge cards. And so he has to get on the phone the next day, every single donor and say, Hey, remember all of the, the good vibes that were happening last night and all the magic in the room. So we remember how you were so convinced that we would, uh, you know, steward your gift. Well, exactly. Yeah. So we gotta, we gotta redo those pledge cards. So we'll just take that payment over the phone. So anyway, that that is a, uh, you know, I'm not real like a big, I know a lot of organizations have like success with that, with, with individual pledge cards. I'm not a real big pledge card guy myself, but wow. Just uh, make sure you know who the cleaning crew is on the event there. That's a, that's a perfect Sort of like why you know you should just use a text to give tool period. I mean, yes. an event, yes. no question. But yeah. wow, that that was like, man, I will never recommend someone to use pledge cards ever again. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Wait, uh, quick for for everybody who might care, what what text to pledge system do you recommend? Is that something um, kindful? Uh, yeah, we actually have it in our system. Yeah, so we've we've got it as a, a feature in the platform. So we've, I mean, since can COVID, you can you purchase that? Uh, as a you know a la carte item or do you have to have the data? it's something that comes along with with the crm so uh it's something that you know if, if people are looking to even get their fundraising presence started we could help them out with just on the the user side of of not only text to give but donation pages and such any final things you'd like to share scott um yeah i, I want to i'll share one more that i think was probably my favorite moment fundraising. I think this is why all of us that are in the nonprofit space, uh, I'm not formally in it, but I'm, you know, obviously working with nonprofits every day. I'm not in as an ED anymore, but you know, we had this one, this one donor that was just so bought in on the mission and just a good guy. He was a a doctor in town and um, really understood and got what we were doing. And, you know, we, this was probably the moment where I just thought this is the coolest thing that I get to do every day, which is we sat down with this guy and we said, Hey, you know, we'd like for you to give, you know, X amount to the, to the organization. I think it was something like, you know, 20,000 or I don't know what, I don't remember exactly what the specific number was because he said, you know, I'll be honest with you all. I, I believe in this enough that I need to kind of like rework my budget and my personal budget and, and pull a few things out of that, that I, I don't necessarily need to be doing like some leisure expenses or whatever that is. And, and I'll commit to giving you all 
a monthly recurring gift over the next 36 months um, of, I think it was like a thousand dollars or something of that sort. And, and while it's not like the biggest ask in the world per se, I mean, especially yeah. comparatively to, you know, hundred thousand dollar ask, $200,000 ask, I think that to me was, um, I mean, it was emotional in the sense that this, this was something that someone wanted to do. They were willing to cut their own expenses to do it. And I think those kind of wins, uh, hold on to those. Cause I think yeah. that we're, they're the kind of things that when you wake up on a rainy day and you're in a pandemic and you're at home with your toddler running around and you're thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, just remember the people out there that are willing and wanting to give, and they'll even sacrifice for it, which is yes. a testament to, um, to human beings with empathy and, and passion. So I don't know, I don't want to get too snappy on us right here at the end, but that's, I think it's a hard time for nonprofits in a lot of ways. And that's just my encouragement to folks is that there are people out there that are even willing to do above and beyond what you would think they would do uh, yes. to support you and move your mission forward, especially if they're passionate about it. Yeah, that's, I love that story. Thank you for sharing that and for ending on that. Um, that is one of my, my favorite things as well about working in this space is that first off working for an organization that's worthy of someone changing the way they live their life. Um, you know, working for a cause that it, I feel good about asking someone to give a gift so big, whatever that means for them, that they would have to change the way they live their life to, to give it. And, and I just, I might do a whole episode on one on this, but I was a guest on another podcast that's going to come out in a couple months. And I, I shared the story about the most meaningful gift I've ever received was $50 in cash. Mm-hmm. And it was from a, a freshman in high school mm-hmm. who gave that, uh, she heard me speaking somewhere and gave that from babysitting money that she'd earned. And wow. it's like that kind of gift, this kind of gift, this guy, you know, changing the way he lives his life. That's, that's what it's all about. And, and, and having them know that it was worth it mm-hmm. because the, the people that that organization serves, that the change that my gift is able to accomplish is more important than that $1,000 a month to be in the country club is to me. Yeah. So. So powerful. Yeah. Magnificent. That was an amazing show, Scott. I'm so glad we got connected and you were able to share some of your stories today and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it. This was great. That was Scott Dalton with Kindful. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook or connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. You can also sign up for the One Visit Away email list by clicking the link in the comments section of this episode. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. If you'd like to reach out to Scott, you can contact him at sdalton at kindful.com. I hope Scott's words have inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from one of your benefactors caring so deeply about your organization and the people you serve that they are willing to cut back on their lifestyle to give a truly meaningful gift.